They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. In Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Don't do that. This is just my really impressive talent. Amazing. Elliot, uh, we're back two weeks in a row. We're going to be releasing it. <laughs> yep. releasing at the right time. You're not in Ames uh, this week. Nope, I'm in Indianola, which is like the, uh, I don't know, it's like the Los Angeles of the Midwest. It is not. I've been to Indianola, and it is nothing like that. <laughs> um, yeah, Elliot. Any updates on the uh, Last of Us show? Oh, I'm I'm so glad you asked, Nathan, because <laughs> episode five uh, that I just watched um, just a few days ago because I, I got late to the party mm. was very very good. Probably my favorite episode mm. so far. Uh, it was adapting. Mm the Pittsburgh section of the game. So for people who played the game, the section with Henry and Sam uh, did it really, really well. Changed some things quite significantly, but it worked for the most part. They did a lot of compressing in this episode, but yeah, it was a, it was a brutal watch in the best possible way. And it had a really cool, well done, big like zombie action set piece at the very end. So I, I would say... Uh, it was it wasn't losing me for a bit, but I was sort of like, yeah, this is this is uh this is just pretty good. But I think now I'm this episode was was something pretty special. So yeah, Nathan, you have also recently watched a a show that you're very excited about. I have. I'm even more late to the party than you were. I finally got around to seeing Andor, the new Star Wars show. And I just want to report, if you're a Star Wars fan who maybe you've fallen off the wagon a bit with uh, Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian and stuff, and you, you're you not a big fan of what Disney's doing, uh, I just want to report that Andor is fantastic. Easily one of the best things that Disney has done with the Star Wars uh, IP, I would say. Uh, Diego Calva's fantastic in it. Andy Serkis shows up for a couple episodes, and he's really good. Alexander Skarsgård is incredibly dope in it. And it's just such a good show. Such a good show. The music is fantastic. The production design is so much better than any other Star Wars shows. So, yeah, you should watch it if you're a fan of Star Wars or if you're a human being looking for a good show. Wow, that is a ringing endorsement. I only watched the first three episodes of that show. Uh, and I was like, wow, that's actually quite slow. So I never got back to it. But after that, I I might just finish the whole thing. It, it picks up a lot. Like the first three episodes are a bit slow. 
I think, but it's really building up a lot of pieces to get to where it wants you to get to. And it even, I don't know, it's really interesting. It didn't, like, I didn't expect where the kind of series was going to go, but I really, I really enjoyed the whole thing. And yeah, Alexander Skarsgård is fantastic. He's got a monologue in, like, the penultimate episode that's really amazing. So, yeah, you mean, it kills. You mean Stellan Skarsgård? Is that who I mean? Yeah, <laughs> sure. He's the father. Look, I... All right, whatever. Um. Anyway, this week was uh, Valentine's Day. So I told Elliot to pick the most romantic movie he could think of to do an episode for, and he chose he chose The Silence of the Lambs. So, Elliot, let's drill down into why you did that. Um, because that is actually a complete fabrication. We decided on this movie what? last week before either of us <laughs> even thought about this week being Valentine's Day. So... Why do you feel compelled to lie so much, Nathan? <laughs> All right. All right, let's talk about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Elliot, you did choose this movie, though, not for the reasons that I fabricated earlier. Uh, why'd you choose this movie? What was what was the reasoning behind the pick? Um, because I hadn't seen it in a while and I wanted to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> very fair, very fair. All right, well, let's... Uh, let's break down the film for, uh, anyone who's maybe unaware. It's, uh, The Silence of the Lambs, 1991 film. It was massively successful. It's one of the few movies, here's a little bit of a fun fact for you. It was released in February and it managed to win Best Picture one year and a month after it came out. So most of the time, if movies are released in February, uh, those movies are garbage, which you might notice if you go to the theaters this weekend to see anything since it's February. Um, but this won Best Picture, and it won a whole bunch of other awards. Jodie Foster won Best Actress. Anthony Hopkins famously won for, I want to say, the least amount of time on screen for Best Actor. It's like in the realm of 30 minutes. Yeah, it's not very long in a two-hour-long movie. But, uh, yeah, the movie's iconic. It's been critically acclaimed from here to Timbuktu. And, uh, yeah, so now we're going to talk about it. <laughs> uh, two more things. Directed by Jonathan Demme, uh, who I don't believe I've seen anything else from... And it's based on, it's adapted from a book of the same name. It's actually a whole series, and I think all but one, it's four books, I've read all four of them, and all but one of them have been adapted to, for the screen at least once. And this isn't, is this the first one in the series? No, it's not. It's, it's, uh, it go, Red Dragon is the first book in the series, and it follows a completely different character who's mm. only mentioned, like, once in Silence of the Lambs when Clary Starling shows up. But it's the same basic conceit that where uh, somebody is asking Hannibal Lecter to help him find a serial killer. Okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into some first thoughts. Elliot, uh, you already said you liked it, and you haven't seen it in a while. 
So uh, how did you feel after seeing it now for the first time in a while? <laughs> um, ugh, th This movie's an all-timer, man. This movie is an mm -hmm. all-timer. I really, really like this a lot. I thought that it was... It was tense. It was well-paced. Um, you can't talk about this movie without talking about the caliber of acting that's on screen. Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins independently are spectacular, but they also have a really good dynamic, uh, really good chemistry between them. Hannibal Lecter is an awesome character who's used, I think, the just the right amount in this movie. They don't overuse him or underuse him. And honestly, this time as I was watching it, I was I was thinking, despite it being fairly short-lived, I would classify this hero-villain uh, relationship between Starling and Lecter in the same in the same class as like Batman and Joker or Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. I thought that it was it was just fantastic. Well, um, maybe you're expecting like last week for me to uh, come in and <laughs> bum you out, <laughs> but uh, I felt pretty much the exact same. I have seen this once before, and I really I remember really enjoying it, but I haven't seen it in probably like four or five years, maybe. And this was incredible. This was so good. Um, you already mentioned the actors. I'm just going to mention here the thing that really struck me was the cinematography is crazy good and contributes so much to making the movie as unnerving and uncomfortable as it is, which uh, I'm sure we'll get into more later. But let's start with, since you made a very bold claim, what do you think makes... Uh, Lecter and Starling so special since you're comparing them to Batman and Joker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that acting is obviously a big part of it. Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. Uh, I mean, they don't make this movie because I, I think that there are a lot of great things about this movie, but they are definitely the centerpiece of this movie together. Also, I think that... <sighs> I mean, it's it's hard to nail down what makes for a great dynamic. You know, Batman and Joker are like, they're polar opposites in their outlook, in their aesthetic. Uh, and that's a big part of what makes them so interesting as a pair. I would say that this probably f falls more along the lines of Sherlock and Moriarty, where they're actually quite similar, um, but are different only in their, I guess, their application of their different skills. Um, I feel like there's there's such a... Uh, how do I even describe it? There's like a back and forth in their relationship of the balance of control. Like, there's a conflict between them that is never really explicit but is always just beneath the surface of Hannibal Lecter trying to get into Starling's head and Starling basically just trying to use him to find uh, Buffalo Bill and the writing of the dialogue between them 
is just so sharp. Um, the way that it's it's really hard to describe. It's it's hard to articulate. But the way that they the way that they spar. Uh, the mm. way that they, they, and they go from sparring to like working together to just sort of talking about, uh, talking about life as Hannibal Lecter kind of tries to psychoanalyze, uh, Clarice. Um, and yeah, it just, it just works so well how the dynamic is constantly shifting. I think that's probably, that's probably one of the big things is that the dynamic is quote unquote dynamic. Because it's always shifting. They're always they they're never the relationship is always being redefined. Like there's sort of a um a interrogator and interrog person being interrogated relationship. And then there's like almost a mentoring relationship between Hannibal Lecter explaining these kinds of psychological theories to Clarice to something more adversarial to something almost like caring like Hannibal Lecter seems to develop a certain kind of affection for Clarice by the end and yeah I, I think that it, it just works it works so incredibly well yeah I I think it's easy to get wrapped up in uh Kind of like with um, The Shining, it's easy to get wrapped up in how good Anthony Hopkins is as Hannibal Lecter, because I think he's the thing that gets discussed most often when talking about Silence of the Lambs. But I think Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling is really what ties the film together, because she's in a sea of leering men and disgusting psychopaths, uh, she is someone motivated by compassion, first of all. And I think it's interesting when Hannibal is kind of trying to psychoanalyze her like you were talking about. And he's asking, like, why did she become this, you know, become an FBI agent? And he always describes it with this very aggressive, traumatic thing that he's like, oh, did someone, you know, did something horrible happen to you? And then when she explains the story with the lambs, we see that it's not like some awful thing happening to her. It's her seeing something awful happening in the world and trying to be a part of doing something better. And so I think Clarice really makes the film because without her, it would just, it would be such a depressing film because it would just be person after person believing the worst in human. It would be like seven. But I think what makes this interesting which is not to say that seven's bad, but I just think there's a different flavor of a thing here because we have Clarice Starling grounding the action in like, I want to save this girl. I want to save Catherine because I want, you know, to do good in the world. And like Hannibal has no conception of wanting that because he's, you know, a sociopath. Uh, actually, I think he would be a psychopath. All right. I knew when I said sociopath, I was like, I'm sure there's a difference. And I'm sure my nerd brother is going to know. <laughs> my bad. My bad. Um, no, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that 
Jodie Foster and Clary Starling do kind of get lost in the conversation about this movie. And I, I do think that that's doing both of them, the character and the actress, a disservice. Because um, uh, Jodie Foster is absolutely Anthony Hopkins is at least equal in terms of ability uh, in this uh, in this movie. I think that Hannibal Lecter, you know, he's got he's got a much more I don't want to say flashy because he's like he's the exact opposite of an ostentatious kind of villain. He's refined and restrained for the most part. Yeah, yeah, for the <laughs> most part. Um what he what he hangs the guy up on the cage. That's so <laughs> reserved. <laughs> okay, all right. His performance is refined and restrained. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's got is more attention grabbing, I guess. Um Whereas I think that Jodie Foster, her performance is more subtle. <coughs> Excuse me, good heavens. Um, she's, because Hannibal Lecter, as a psychopath, doesn't really have emotions. Um, he's just got this kind of uh, really cold, nasty, but undeniably intelligent energy that he's always that he slash Anthony Hopkins is always projecting. Whereas Jodie Foster, she kind of has to do the more subtle work of acting of emoting, uh, through her face or through her voice. Um, so I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I think that they're both fantastic, but, uh, Jodie Foster's performance and I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but like is <clears throat> is somewhat more or requires a more sophisticated, subtle approach than Hannibal Lecter necessarily does. I also think yeah. that I, I I'm glad that you mentioned her existing amidst a bunch of leering dudes, because one of the interesting things that I noticed about this movie this time around and uh, that I noticed as I was reading up about that I saw a lot of people talking about online is the way it portrays a professional woman in a setting that you do not typically, you definitely would not typically see a woman in uh, when this movie was made. And you still don't really see women in this kind of field uh, today and I thought that the movie did a really good job of, you know, I speaking as somebody who is, in fact, not a woman. It seemed to me from the outside that it was doing a good job of uh, giving her perspective. Uh, there were multiple shots where it was clear that she was or that the men around her thought that she was unusual, like when they go to examine the one body and they're in the funeral home and all of the local cops are just sort of giving her a weird look. And then afterwards, you know, Jack Crawford kind of essentially says this isn't woman's work when he says to the chief, like, I don't want to talk about this kind of stuff in front of a woman, despite the fact that, you know, she's there to examine the body. Um, 
And then later on, he acknowledges this and she says that it matters because other people are going to look to you to see how to act. And uh, yeah, I thought that was that was very sensitively handled and very, I don't know, socially conscious uh, the way it dealt with this kind of subject matter of women in this kind of environment. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it's also helped by the fact that Jodie Foster is so short. There she were so many so shots short. of her. She's incredibly short. I mean, that the like opening shot when she gets in the elevator with everyone else, she looks like a high schooler or something. She's like a, a head shorter than everyone else. And I think it's a good visual way of establishing that, right, she's different from all these other people. And I think there's other touches, too, showing kind of her being set aside or othered in some ways in her workplace. Like, whenever we see her kind of working out outside or, like, studying, she's always with that other woman. Like, she's never in a group with like a mixed group, it's always with another woman. So there's almost an implication that, right, the men aren't really letting them join in like their study groups and they're running things. And so instead they have to do it by themselves. They have to do it together because they're, I'm assuming, I guess, because we don't see any other ones, uh, the only two women in the program. So, and also since you brought that up, let's talk about the cinematography because I think the cinematography really goes into putting you in the shoes of <laughs> why are you making that face did i bring that up <laughs> well since, since you, yeah well yeah you did okay. um but i think the cinematography this film shoots shot reverse shot in a very interesting way and if you haven't listened to i think we've explained shot reverse shot in one of our other episodes but if you haven't listened to that one other episode. Um, shot reverse shot is for a dialogue scene, uh, how it's always filmed, that you have a shot of the one person. Reverse shot is the shot of the other person in the discussion or whatever. And this film shoots it straight on. So the person is staring directly into the camera, and the camera is usually like uncomfortably close to their face. And... Most movies don't have characters staring directly into the camera because it's uncomfortable. It's like an unnerving thing. But I think it makes you uncomfortable because there's so there's I think the scene where it's best done is when she first goes to meet Hannibal Lecter. And so she meets the head that grow I can't remember his name, but that gross guy who's in charge of Lecter. Uh Dr. Chilton. Yeah, Dr. Chilton. Uh, she meets him, and there's a shot of him looking right in the camera as he's, like, offering to take her out on the town or something, as he's, like, hitting on her. And she has to be like, no, like, I'm here for a job. You know, be professional. What are you doing? And I think it's... <laughs> I, I, sorry, it's I, I, did, I, love the, I love the line when he, he's talking about, like, her appearance or her mannerisms or something. And she's like, uh, I go to whatever the school is. I can't remember the name is, but she's like, it's not a charm school. And I just think that's really funny. 
Yeah, but I think it's an uncomfortable scene, one, because there's, you know, an uncomfortable sense of him hitting on her, but it's made even more uncomfortable by the fact that he's doing it directly into the camera. So it makes it almost like a personal thing that he's making it to the viewer. And when she's talking to Hannibal Lecter, it does the same thing, that he's looking right at you and you don't usually see films where the characters do that. And so I think it's a really interesting choice that makes the movie more uncomfortable than it already would be. Yeah, I agree. I I think that you are probably more attuned to camera work than I am in movies, or at least you seem to notice that kind of thing more often. <clears throat> I definitely noticed the extreme close-ups and the fact that they were looking right into the camera didn't really unnerve me, although it uh, there's every chance that that's because I've seen this movie many times. I don't remember if it unnerved me the first time I saw it, I'm sure it did. But I do, I think that you're right. And that I do like when movies do that kind of interesting, fresh uh, camera work to keep dialogue scenes from becoming stale. Because shot reverse mm. shot is a very basic um, sort of, quick and dirty way of filming conversations. So I like when filmmakers are able to keep it dynamic and interesting through the use of the camera. Although to be honest, I'm not sure you, you even need it in this instance because the writing and the acting is so good. I think that they could have gotten away with just a simple shot reverse shot, but yeah, they, I I'm glad that they, they did something more, unique it's dope I, I i love it and i think it's also a sign of how the same filmmaking techniques in different movies can have such a different effect effect because there's a japanese director who films all of his shot reverse shot in the same way with the character talking directly to the thing to the directly to the camera um, but in his movies, because they're all about like family and stuff like that, it's more of a way of of making it a very cozy thing. And so it's from further away, like it's a whole, the whole person is usually in the shot talking directly to the camera. And here the same essential technique is being used, but here it's being used to unsettle you as opposed to make you feel like a part of the family in that um, other director's films. So I think it's really neat. And I think the cinematography is also really good outside of just shot reverse shot because it's all done or a lot of it is done in kind of a distant way. Like the camera is kind of far away from the action. And so it makes the moments when they're talking to people, when there's a dialogue scene and all of a sudden, whoa, there's the whole person's face right there in the camera. It makes it even more like, jarring because the rest of the film is done in a very impersonal sort of way and suddenly whoa there's a person i just think it's neat <laughs> yeah so let's let's talk about the characters a bit uh i think that we've we've talked a good deal about clarice uh and what makes her tick obviously hannibal lecter is one of the all-time great antagonists. I feel like I I maybe under, sort of under, well, not, what is the term? 
undersold Anthony Hopkins's performance in this. I do, I do think it is masterful and absolutely deserving of an Oscar. Um, and I, I love a good villain, just like pretty much anyone else. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he is a really good psychopath. Like it, it honestly feels like there's not really anything beneath the surface for him. Like he is exclusively an intellectual kind of creature. It's really hard, by which I mean, it's really hard to ascribe any kind of malice or misanthropy or sadism to Hannibal Lecter, uh, partially through, through a combination of writing and performance. It really feels like he's just doing these things out of boredom almost. Like he he's he just sort of exists to amuse himself. And the most amusing thing the thing that he finds the most amusing is hurting people in uh lots of unpleasant ways. So I, I think he's a I, I do love I, I love the character of Hannibal Lecter and I love the performance. Um what but what do you think about the other characters? Because of course the actual antagonist of this movie is Buffalo Bill. Um, and I thought that he was very, he's very creepy. And the guy who plays him, I can't remember what his name is. Ted Levine uh, also did a great job. Um, Buffalo Bill is really unsettling and he's also not, well, he's not really malicious. He's just, he's just really creepy. Um, and he's very effective in that capacity. Uh, but yeah, now that I think about it, there's not. A, this is a very small cast. Yeah, basically the only other. Basically, the only other kind of major character is Glenn Scott's uh, Jack Shepard. Shepard Crawford. 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 Yeah, the uh, head of the F or the head of some part of the FBI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think that everyone everyone fulfills their role admirably. Uh, you know, Dr. Chilton is a good, snide, arrogant slime ball. Buffalo Bill is a good, creepy serial killer. Um, Catherine Newton is a, is a good, I guess... She's like, she's almost like a, not a MacGuffin, but a plot device. I mean, she's driving most of the action, technically. Um, but I think that the girl who plays her does a good job. And yes, yeah, yeah. And then, oh gosh, what's his name? Can't remember. Can't remember. Oh, wait, we already talked about Jack Crawford. <laughs> I was thinking about, Yeah. But yeah, nobody really has a substantial sort of stake in things aside from Hannibal Lecter and Clary Starling. So maybe we shouldn't talk about the characters. But, you know, what do you think about the, the side characters? I think that everyone does a good job acting-wise and everyone, you know, they're, they're sort of like, they're sort of just like ways of facilitating um Clary Starling's journey and Clary Starling's interactions with Hannibal Lecter. 
which isn't necessarily a bad thing because obviously that's a fantastic dynamic and it's it's what this movie is known for. But yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe maybe you think it is bad. What do you think? <laughs> you ask what I think, and then you go on talking. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I like them. I do think the movie is kind of to its. See, I don't know if it's detriment because. I, I wrote this kind of in my notes that like the scene where Hannibal Lecter escapes is essentially like tangential to the plot, right? The fact that he escapes doesn't really matter. And the fact that they put like 15 minutes, I don't know, 10 minutes, whatever, however long the scene is of him escaping really doesn't matter. Like, Clarice has already been given everything she needs to eventually find Buffalo Bill in the way that she finds him. So I think it could be a detriment to the film if it wasn't so incredibly dope. Like the escape scene is so cool. And I still, I can vividly remember the first time I saw this and I was like, wow, how's he going to get out? And then when the other guy fell through, I was like, oh, he cut off his face. I was freaking out in my bedroom. I just thought it was the, I mean, it, watching it now, knowing what it was, knowing like how he escaped, there is a part of me that's like, no one noticed that like the face was not hot. like, there's a part of me that's like, I don't know, maybe maybe he wouldn't actually have been able to escape in this fashion, but it's still believable enough and cool enough that I'm like, don't care. And that's kind of how I feel about the scene as a whole. And honestly, the movie as a whole, that there's I probably the only one of the few ways you could come at the film and critique it is that it spends so much time on two characters who, one of whom is not actually the villain of the film, but when it's so when it's as well done as it is here, it seems to me like kind of pointless to critique it. It's like, so you wanted less of one of the best villains of all time. What's your deal there? That honestly, Hannibal Lecter escaping might be my favorite scene in the whole movie. I think it's so well put together and you're right. It definitely keeps you guessing as to, um, I don't think anyone really thinks that Hannibal Lecter would just sort of, kill two guys and then make a run for it. But everyone, so everyone's like kind of looking for, Oh, how's he, how's he, how has he gotten out? Where, where, where is he? What, what's his plan here? Uh, that is like such a delightfully gruesome way to escape. And yeah, it's, it's just such a good example of building tension. You know, we talked about uh, in Pirates of the Caribbean how we like action scenes that build on build on themselves, that are introducing new elements. This isn't really an action scene, and it's not introducing new elements per se, but it is introducing like foils um, and yeah. sort of roadblocks that you're not that Hannibal Lecter has to get past that you're not sure how he's going to get past, like the SWAT team coming in and then when they think that they found him on the elevator uh excuse me the elevator roof it's just such a good it's just always building towards something and it, the payoff i think is fantastic for as short as, as it is when 
he just sits up beside the guy in the ambulance and takes off the face. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's great. It's also building off like Chekhov's, like you kind of talked about, it's building off Chekhov's guns that it set, like from the moment that the movie makes a note of, oh, Hannibal took the pen from Dr. Somehow. Yeah, I don't know how he was able to then, I'm assuming he used the prison pocket or whatever to get the pen out of the thing, or maybe he disassembled it and took just the tiny piece. But from the moment that you know he's got the pen or he's got some piece of the pen, you know that something's going to happen. And so you are trying to think like, oh, how's he going to escape? What's he going to do? So it is just building tension. And then, yeah, I agree. The payoff is so cool. Not, I mean, it's, cool in the sense that you're like whoa not in like yeah right, Hannibal. Uh, although you do actually raise an interesting point i think that hannibal lecter is absolutely one of those villains that you love to hate that you're almost kind of rooting for at times um he's not one of those villains that where the appeal of his villainy is the promise of seeing him taken down uh you know i kind of think that hmm like somebody more like Hans Gruber is a villain who mm. you just want, you're just excited to see taken down. Um, yeah. Whereas villains like Hannibal Lecter and uh, to a certain extent Joker are villains who you almost you're, you're almost kind of rooting for them to get away because they're so interesting and it's so much fun to see them do their thing. Yeah. Um, that would not be my guess. Since you brought up your favorite scene that you say, this is your favorite scene. Um, my favorite scene is a different scene where editing and, uh, structure is kind of building to a payoff is the fake out at the end. When you think the FBI have successfully tracked down Buffalo bill and it keeps cutting between them at the front of the house and the door and the doorbell ringing. And then it's revealed that, uh, it's in fact Clarice. I think that is such a cool reveal. And I think it's such an incredible, and then the whole sequence afterwards of her in the basement. And then he turns off the lights and she's right. Fumbling around in the dark with her gun. Oh, it's such a, that's my favorite scene in the movie. I think the setup is so cool. And then it's just, and I love that Catherine it's like a little character thing, but I like that as soon as she finds out that Clarice isn't instantly getting her up, she starts insulting her that she's like, oh, you suck. You're such a, you know, she's cursing at her and stuff. And I think that's a really funny, not funny, but it's just kind of an interesting character thing that <laughs> that's what she starts doing. But yeah, do you love that final scene, Elliot? I do. I, I think it's great. I think that it was really well set up in the way that it's the movie has already sort of given you a kind of a layout of this basement through the uh, asides that we had throughout the movie of Buffalo Bill preparing this girl to be shot and then skinned. Um, you do you get a sense of where things are in the basement. So I think that, yeah, it's really well set up. It's, it's very purposeful the way the, especially like the first time 
the movie shows you that place, um, the camera goes from Bill's sewing mm -hmm. room and into the well room. Uh, it's very purposeful the way it gives the audience a sense of where things are in this basement for this climax that, yeah, is, is very well done. And not a lot of movies, not a lot of movies pay attention to geography that way. So I, I really appreciate that here. Yeah, that's so true. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. There's a wonder that goes through the basement in that first scene. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Elliot, uh, do you have any negatives that you would, uh, levy against the film as we're getting here towards the end of our review? Uh, I do, actually. I have one sort of... I don't know. It's more like just the movie sets a standard for itself that it can't constantly live up to with the dynamic between Starling and Lecter. Because I do think that the movie loses just a bit of energy after Hannibal Lecter escapes... From that point until um, until the climax, it becomes a bit more of a basic kind of procedural thing where Clary Starling is just going back through the clues to uh, work her way up to Buffalo Bill. And I do think you lose a bit of energy without the dynamic between Lecter and Starling in that section of the movie. It regains it in the climax... But yeah, I've, I've, I do think even the first time I saw it and the, the time subsequently, that portion of the movie has always dragged a bit for me. Yeah, well, and it's telling that we've spent so much time in our review talking about Clarice and Hannibal when they only spend like 25% of the movie, if that, together, like they are such a huge part of what makes the movie work. And so the fact that the energy from that carries over into the scenes where it is just like a regular procedural, like Clarice is taking the moth to her bug friends or whatever to figure out where it's from and scenes where it is just kind of cop work or FBI work um, still feel energized because you have this promise of like, Oh, when she going to have to go back to Hannibal to, parse through some of this and so i i guess i agree that the movie suffers because one part of it is just so good and as soon as that part of it is kind of gone i don't know if i noticed as much of a energy dying down as you did but i do i think that's a very legitimate uh critique for the film well i also think that the kinds of work that she's doing are less interesting than the kinds of work that she's doing in the beginning of the film where she is, you know, she's, she goes to the, she goes to investigate the, um, the storage area. She goes to examine the body to talk to the people about the moths. You know, that feels like that all, that all feels like it. We're building things like we're adding in clues and context for the killer and for what's been happening beforehand. When she, the stuff that she does after Hannibal Lecter escapes is a sort of review. You know, she's just going back and re-interviewing witnesses who we've never really met before, we don't really have much connection to. So I think that all it's not just the fact that you no longer have uh, the promise of another meeting between the two of them. I do think that she is 
doing less interesting things in this portion. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say, and since you, you didn't bring it up since I'm bringing it up, (laughs) uh, this movie has one of my favorite final lines of all time. When Hannibal Lecter says I'm having an old friend for dinner. That is such, it's funny. I hate that doctor so much. And then just the final shot of Hannibal, right, entering the crowd after the guy is such a chilling, like, oh, great, this guy's out in the wild. It's not a happy way to end- resolve the film. But I think that it is, you know, again, going back to the idea of Hannibal Lecter being one of those villains who you love to, who you're kind of rooting for, I think it is, <clears throat> it's very exciting, the promise of more uh more of this kind of i don't know content uh, of more adventures with Clary Starling and Anna Lecter, even though the other movies are not very good um but yeah i do agree have you that seen one? no i have not but none of them are none of them have are very critically uh, anything yeah well well reviewed no i do think you're right that is a fantastic line and that is an invention of the movie i specifically remember when i read the book being disappointed that the line was not in the book in fact i don't that scene uh there's like i don't think that scene is even in the book or if it is it comes way earlier there's a lot of like wind down in the book to be honest i think that the movie is a lot better than the book uh in this case Mm. Interesting. All right. Well, are uh, you ready to go into uh, final scores for this uh, this year picture? Let's do picture it. Picture film. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I can go first. Um, yeah, for everything we've already said, uh, the positives of this movie are just so huge. Jodie Foster is so fantastic. Anthony Hopkins is great. I think Clarice Starling and Hannibal Lecter, I don't know if I'd go as far to say that they're on the level of Sherlock and Moriarty, um, but they're an incredibly compelling duo, and they really carry this film. I think the cinematography is amazing. Oh, we didn't even mention the music's really good. Howard Shore on the score. I wouldn't listen to it casually, but it's quite <laughs> good for unnerving you. Also, I was eating. This is nothing to do with anything, but I was eating while I was trying to watch this movie, and it was not the right call. I was eating like a hamburger in the scene where they uh, are at the morgue with the dead body, and I'm like, I'm not really enjoying my meal this month very much anymore. It was gross. Anyway, the movie's incredible. Don't eat food while watching it. It's it's like a 9.3 for me, I'd say. It's a very good film. Very, very good film. Yeah, I don't really have much to add. I feel like we, I mean, this is true in general because we watch so many movies, uh, so many older movies. We, and this program in general, don't have much to add to the discourse surrounding uh, films. (laughs) (laughs) But, But, you know, as you've already heard, as you already know, if probably if you've seen this movie, this is an all timer of a detective story. Incredible performances across the board. Very good cinematography, good music. It's just very, it's so well-crafted. It's uh, it's a 
got so many examples of incredible rising tension. And even though I think that there is a portion of the movie that drags, it's only drags, it's a very relative kind of slowdown, you know, like in the same way that uh, it would be a relative slowdown to go from a supersonic jet to just a regular fighter jet. You know, it's still, it's still great stuff. Um, and yeah, it's got one of the best villains in all of storytelling. And uh, I'm going to give it an A. Wow, wow, wow. Well, yeah, after such, such a glowing a glowing review, we now get to go into uh, recommendations. So I'm going to go first. You're going to be annoyed by this. I'm changing it to, I'm going to recommend Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder. How annoying. <laughs> Elliot doesn't like this movie. I love this movie. You might have heard of Bong Joon-ho. He directed Parasite, which we've already reviewed on the podcast. He's a big name. Memories of Murder is one of his earlier films uh, based on a true story, or very loosely based on a real serial killer who terrorized Korea for some years. Uh, It follows two detectives as they're trying to find this serial killer. Um, And it's a really fascinating movie, in my opinion. Um, It's less about the psychology of the serial killer who doesn't really appear that much. It's more about the psychology of the two detectives pursuing them and what kind of goes into both of their methods that one of them represents kind of a fly by the seat of the pants. Like I'm going to beat every witness until they tell me what it is. And the other one is much more about data and finding definitive proof of things. And this case kind of challenges both of their uh, mentalities and the way they work. This movie also has the most drop kicks of any film I've ever seen, including one incredibly funny one where someone jumps from the top of a ditch and drop kicks a guy at the bottom of a ditch. And it's so funny. But the movie is incredibly good, I think. It really nails a really cool tone. I, I really like it. Yeah, unfortunately, I cannot endorse this recommendation. Uh, There's a lot that I appreciate about Memories of Murder. But in my mind, first of all, that dropkick is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a movie ever. (laughs) That alone should be enough to make me recommend the movie. But I feel like it has this wildly swinging tone between serious, dramatic police procedural and bizarre, goofy humor <laughs> that almost never works with the exception of the dropkick. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't love that movie, but you know, give it a shot if you want. Um, let's talk about something good. Let's talk about something really good. Um, I'm going to recommend a TV show. That TV show is Mind Hunter, uh, which if you don't know, is a fictionalization of the beginning of... The FBI's, oh man, now I'm not going to remember what it's called. The portion, the program of the institution that's specifically dedicated to uh, tracking down serial killers. I cannot remember what it's called. Gosh dang it. But yeah, it's uh, very loosely based on the book of the same name, which I have read um, and I am kind of indifferent to. But uh, so it's about. It's about essentially 
it's a series of interviews between these two FBI agents and real-life serial killers. Uh, Serial killers who are real, obviously they're being played by actors and stuff. Um, So it, it is very similar structurally to Silence of the Lambs in that it's about going to actual psychopaths and serial killers to try to get insights into how the mind of a psychopath or a serial serial killer works. Uh, But even beyond that, it's got fantastic performances, uh, really interesting character dynamics, and um, when they do eventually start putting their work into practice in tracking people down, oh my gosh, it's so well done. (coughs) Excuse me. I've been coughing a lot. I think I might be coming down with something. Um, yeah, uh, it's shot so well. It's 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 uh, David Fincher's show, um, and it is just to warn you. It is extremely Finchery. It's very dark, uh, sometimes oppressively so. So if you if you're sort of if that's not your thing, I would say definitely don't watch this. But if you do like true crime or uh, detective procedurals. Or if you like the dynamic of Silence of the Lambs of going you know, to the source, uh, so to speak, to try to figure out the mind of madness, I would say this is a great, great pick. It's a fantastic show. Interesting. Well, I have no opinion. I have not seen that show yet. Just don't watch a lot of TV. Um, anyway, that's the end of the episode. Um, thanks for listening. Um, we still don't have a good outro. We'll figure it out one of these days for sure. I don't know. I think but, that uh, watching it, listening to you say, um, um, <laughs> um, that's pretty entertaining. I, I would like to I, say that life's part of full of disappointments, by the way. <laughs> yeah, great. At least we've got that fantastic part of the outro nailed down. I know. Good golly, no. Miss. When I, when we start selling T-shirts, I think that's what we should put on the on the front or the back. I I don't I don't want to do that. That's why that's why we don't have any merch is because I know that's what the fans would ask for, and I don't want to put that kind of negativity into the world. So until we change your uh, catchphrase, we will not be having any any merch. What is your best friend's catchphrase? I don't do Mondays. <laughs> Yeah, what's <laughs> I don't do Monday. Funny. All right. Well, that's a little bit of a Looney Tunes show joke for anyone who watched that show as a child. Um, if you didn't, that's tough. Go watch it, maybe. Um, yeah, we recommend that. <laughs> yeah, for this specifically, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Before we alienate the rest of our audience, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>